Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Blair episode. Why? This is a conversation with Richard Termini, pursuing the old History of Roadrunner Records um, angle. So Richard's another one of those guys that's an example of a life well lived. Uh, on top of being a filmmaker, he's also played on some hit records with Sidney Lauper, The Fix, Pi Smith. But in relation to this particular conversation, we'll be talking about his relationship with Pete Steele, Carnivore, Typo, and uh, the, his previous band, uh, Pete's previous band, Fallout. So Richard produced the Fallout single um, that was made before Carnivore was incepted in the 80s. He also kind of really flew the flag for the band in the early 80s before they were handed off to Roadrunner, which is going to go into plenty of detail about. For the pluggables, Richard's also got some music out. Uh, you can find this at richardtermini.herenow.com. That's here, H-E-A-R. I'll put the links and shit in the video description and the Spotify description and all that shit. Richard's music also contains some guitar work from John Campos, who was in Fallout. So that's another big link that brings us all back into the circle. Anyway, this is a super interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump into it. One, two, fuck it up. And a number of other things going on. I thought, you know what? It's time to do something interesting and put something interesting on my CV. So I thought I'd have a go. Um, good. <laughs> with it's regard, a good idea. It's a, it's a great idea. Well, they did something which no other, no other label did, which was the kind of got all the fringe elements of metal and made them platinum and gold. And that's not. Yeah. You know, and, and in fact, not to jump too ahead of the story, but since you mentioned it, you know, I never heard of them. Right. And uh, I was involved with uh, major label people and uh, would have gotten involved with indie people if I knew anything about it, but I didn't really, mm. I didn't know anybody uh, early on anyway. And I was shopping all these, whatever it was, my own projects and, and all these bands to the, to the majors. Mm -hmm. And I kept discovering people, not many people, I discovered people like Peter, for example. And I thought, you know, this is the next Pink Floyd. These guys are amazing. And I take them to the majors, you know, who eventually were doing things that I was a part of, like these pop hit records mm -hmm. uh, that went, you know, triple platinum and all that so i take it to those guys and they hated this stuff <laughs> hated it hated it I said what are you doing this is garbage you don't have anything to do with it. you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. so um you're absolutely right i mean this label that i never heard of um and i don't really know them too much but um just in the most tangential of ways uh certainly did a lot more than i was able to do trying to get uh some of this stuff to the majors the majors i i couldn't make a dent particularly in the early days at all mm -hmm. you know and even after i got the truth is when um by the time a typo you know yeah. uh i ran into some of these major guys um at some thing around oh yeah we saw your friends you know like with a rude <laughs> sort of comment yeah they were at the airport they were doing a gig you know that kind of thing they're going to another place and we go and they were like fucking rude about it you know, it's like, even typo, they're still giving me the shits. Like, you know, yeah, these guys yeah. are never anywhere. It's like, yeah, what's wrong with you fucking people? I think it's like, like that. it feels like, um, and, and I'm jumping ahead of myself in terms of my own analysis of what that level did. But I think like the, the scope 
of the objectives between, say, Roadrunner and Omega are completely different. Whereas Roadrunner's happy yeah. as long as you're turning a profit. If yeah. that means a gold record and that's it, that's fine. But for Omega, it's like you got to go two times platinum or you can fuck off. I think that might yeah. be, it's a different mentality, yeah. I feel. And I, 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 like I said, I don't really know them personally, the no, label guys, mm. uh, but th I think they genuinely uh, had a, a, a certain taste for certain music that they believed in. And mm. the, the people I knew anyway, I'm just saying like every dickhead that worked at every major label, you know, but the guys I knew, they were absolutely fucking clueless about all of it that had <laughs> anything other than a certain very narrow band of like the kind of records you're talking about that, you mm -hmm. know, that, that I think ultimately a pretty pandering type of records. And I, and I played on those because they asked me to mm -hmm. and they paid me money. And I wasn't yeah. a session guy at all, you know? Mm -hmm. But it was like, hey, how'd you like to, you know, whatever. And the, the genius of, of that kind of exploitive behavior on their part was that, you know, they knew that I had been a musician all through my life and all through the 70s. I was doing uh, fairly innovative stuff. And, and in those days, taking my, my personal stuff to the majors mm -hmm. was no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And then in the 70s, they heard what I was doing. Uh, and it, that was being called New Wave. It was basically oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the elements of progressive music that was transmodulating, trying to find a new voice for itself. Mm -hmm. So you wound up with people ultimately um, like Kraftwerk and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. as an example. Um, and so they wanted that sound on their 80s records, right? Something I was doing 10 years earlier that they said, nah. So I wound up, think how smart this is though. They got all that R&D from me yeah, for yeah. the price of a session, you know? Yeah. It's like, because it's not like they write it down and say, here, play this. They, they, they play like, you know, strum, 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 yappity yap. And then you lay down this bed of, of drum machine, chords, synth pads this that and the other pulses sequency bits mm -hmm. and um okay thanks you know here's 200 bucks which was a lot if, if you got 200 bucks yeah and um and then you know then the album comes out and it's like you know some pop drivel like girls just want to have fun and it's like oh that's me you know oh how many they made 85 <laughs> trillion dollars like that so it was those kinds of people yeah, um, yeah and i could be rude about it now because for one thing i'm really old and, and old men are allowed to be, you know, rude and grumpy, but also, you know, they've proven time and time again they suck. You know, they really yeah. do. Like, like they, 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 they were the people that were most shocked when the digital revolution happened. And keyboardy guys knew it was coming, maybe a little bit before everybody, because we saw sampling happening, happening on, on, on uh, our gear was computerized, and we saw the sort of the home studio evolving. And they go, nah, never happened, never happened, never happened. Also, boom, they're all out of work. No more limousines, taking them to these giant multi-million dollar studios. You know, now they're working in some kid's bedroom for whatever they can race off of their they're website. They're not talking about units ship. They're talking about streams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, actually, I've actually seen websites of of some of these really famous, um, you know, they were really famous producers, and like they're offering to mix your record for like nine ninety five. You know, you send your music up on their website and they'll mix it up for you and send it back to you. I mean, they, so they went from being limo driven, you know, to Madagascar yeah. to do some exotic record to, to being in Johnny's bedroom in the Bronx. So anyway, <laughs> I'm, 
I, I'm being That's funny, but but it's the business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, is this light distracting? I can I should have blinds if you want. Nothing's distracting me. I'm fine. Fine. That's fine. The production quality is is what I'd like to refer to as metal. Very low, <laughs> low yield. Sure, sure. <laughs> it, 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 all of us have that sort of uh, lockdown vibe now, anyway. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. even, even even the pros are like doing interviews now. You know, the government are doing interviews now from their from their living rooms and stuff. Yeah, man. I, I, when this pandemic's over, man, no one's gonna have any time to speak with me anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're gonna be, you're gonna be um, just fine. <laughs> so let's talk about i wanted to open up by just shooting the shit about yourself because i think doing my doing my homework God, yeah. how i came across your name was just basically I'm, I'm trying to reach out to louis quite a lot um oh yeah but he's he, he's kind of like on a i think he's on like a contact lockdown he's on facebook but he didn't respond yeah. a lot things like that and i'm just trying to figure out how they got signed because i think how kind of i got signed that it happened it's important to me because it's before the u.s office has opened and yeah. it tells the story of the infrastructure prior to that u.s office being opened because the, the label itself is kind of like we all recognize it as being the monte connors of the world and being that new york office and a very new york centric uh, operation but there were yeah. things that happened before that and it was all being operated out of uh, the netherlands so right. for me it was like okay so carnivore maybe even whiplash as well sort of occurred before then so that's why it's interesting but when i was reading when i couldn't get in touch with louis i was like well look I, there must be someone who knows how this happened um yeah. And, and your name, you know, actually, no, the specific thing is really specific. I started mm. YouTubing interviews um, mm. because I was, I was thinking, well, all right, maybe just Pete said it in passing. And I saw a wedding video right, um, where the lads were playing and you commented on the top. You, it was yeah. like two or three days ago. You commented on the top yeah. thing saying, oh, yeah, I was there. And, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, oh, in fact, I, I, I shot most of it. And my ex-wife shot me on stage with Louie and... Uh, and John Campos, the guys from Fallout. That's right. So that's my so video. Knowing that you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So knowing that you, your timeline was like Fallout through to typos. Like, all right, at least there's someone on the ground. But I, I do want to open it by just shooting the shit about yourself because you're the oh, yeah. very image of a life well lived. There's so oh, much thanks. you've done, you've gone from like photography, music, film mm -hmm. production, and now you're in mm -hmm. Australia. So I'm going to open it with how why you in Oz? Uh, that's what, easy. Why uh, you in Australia uh, at the minute? Um, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm an older geezer and, um, my second wife is from Australia and, uh, right. we, um, um, you came to visit a few years ago and, uh, so let's stay. So that's it. We just decided to stay here since she was from here. It's not really complicated. And, um, right. it, it's, it's, uh, we've got a bunch of kids and it's, uh, it's, it's got us, it's, where we live, it's got a small town from another century vibe. You know, it's almost cool. like America in the fifties. I mean, they don't, you can't, don't tell them that because they get all, the Australians, <laughs> they get all upset that they're that, like, you know, they've just invented electricity, but, yeah. <laughs> but it really is. It's like, really, it's a, it's, um, and it's funny because I don't want to get into all this political stuff, but it, it's really weird. It's like, there's, there's a movie I used to like as a little kid called, uh, which is a grim movie actually, but um, it's called um, The Beach. And it's uh, starring Gregory Peck, old black and white film. And it's about how uh, 
post-apocalyptic, right? Which is really in keeping because mm -hmm. this is eventually I meet Peter, you know, who's like the master of the apocalypse. This isn't the Danny Boyle one, is it? No, this is this is uh, this is um, a, an old film starring Gregory Peck and um, I forget maybe Suzanne Pluchet. Nineteen um, sixties film, um, and it's about um, World War Three has happened. And he's a mm -hmm. submarine guy, right? He's a captain of a submarine or something like this. And and like they don't know where to put the submarine because everywhere they go, they come up and it's like radioactive. Everybody's dead. It's terrible. So the only place left is Australia. <laughs> it's just historical, right? Mm -hmm. So they go to Australia because the radiation cloud hasn't reached Australia yet. But it's it's doomed. It, it's like days to go, you know. And um, so it's really funny because I, I move here. And then it's like World War III starts all over the world. I mean, sociopolitically, it's like, what is this, that fucking movie? What's going on now? You know, I mean, it's a slight yeah, exaggeration, yeah. but you get you get my drift. It's sort of. I, yeah, yeah. When there's, I guess the, the, the demand is a certain isolation. Yeah. From an individual. For me, it is. It's like, you know what? I don't want to engage in this massive thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather just sort of like, I'd rather find a 50s town and sort of like, I'd rather be in a big village. That's what it's not, like. It's like, a, I mean, they've got like three skyscrapers here. So they, they think, oh, you know, we got a city, but you know, I'm from New York. <laughs> so don't get me started. <laughs> but anyway, to get back on top. Yeah. Um, yes. Let me start at the, at the beginning. I'll go right through up to like what you're talking about. So just about me a bit. Been playing since I'm a kid. Yes. Playing in bands since the late sixties. Was playing before that, even as a really little kid, you know. But, but bands started late sure. 60s. And then by the 70s, uh, middle 70s, I, um, I built a recording studio uh, on Avenue M in Brooklyn. And my neighbors were uh, the band Fallout, who might have been a few different names before they met me. And I've read online a few things, but I didn't even know that they were called all these other names. I met them when they were called Fallout. Mm. And that's Peter, uh, uh, John uh, Campos, brilliant guitarist uh louis yes. who everybody knows and loves who invented the drums and um <laughs> and of course uh, josh and um so so they all lived right around uh where my studio was and peter and josh specifically literally lived two blocks away next door to each other two blocks right. away from my studio so um we heard about about them and um even though i by then i was doing a lot of avant-garde and progressive and all that uh that coincidentally was dying anyway you know what i was interested in most um uh, the whole progressive era was coming to an end and the newspapers and all that was saying how they were calling us all dinosaurs i was 25 years old and was already a dinosaur right and um and uh, punk was obviously happening and um and disco ruled brooklyn that's for sure and um that was kind of depressing from my point of view but but i was still trying to find a way to adapt my interests into you know popular music idioms so i could make a living in this thing i'd spent my whole life doing it 25 don't tell me it's over you know so so that's what i was doing and then i meet these kids uh because they're like all about five years younger than me um yeah and they were nailing uh music from when i was like in junior high school i mean genreistically i'm not saying it's like retro music you know that i loved mm -hmm. when i was in junior high school black sabbath and stuff like that and and they were great and they're doing it for all the right reasons they were a real band you know they were just a real band mm -hmm. and they were fucking great they really were and charismatic and 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 working with peter 
um, his writing was incredible. You know, his, his lyric writing. I mean, remember, he yeah. was still a teenager and he wrote the synopsis for the film Terminator four years or more before that film came out. Uh, Battery's not included. Read those lyrics. Mm -hmm. That's the film Terminator. It's the whole. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and, and he wasn't like he was stuck in a genre. He would hop around. He did horror. He did, uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously from the name Fallout, that was a concept that he was working with at the time, the fear of nuclear war and all that. And what are we going to do about it? And cannibalism mm -hmm. and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And I thought he was just uh, brilliant. Um, and so I got on really well with him and had a lot of faith in them and started recording them at my studio when I became their producer and eventually we did a single. Yeah. Uh, which has bad, a, a, a version of batteries not included on it. That's not the best version, but it's okay. The, the one they did in my studio is better. I, we, long story short, we went to a, a 24 track uh, place yeah. for that. And I think the ones we did in my own place were better anyway. So uh, that's fallout. And, um, brilliant band and um yeah and i and i i was trying to get them a record deal and was it common for because you see it's quite a lot in the early new wave of british heavy metal bands as well yeah. there's a, yeah. a producer that produces the, the first album and then they kind of adopt a managerial position trying to shop it around well i did everything because what do you do i don't know i mean my recording studio i built it myself all the carpentry, yeah. all the wiring, all the soldering, you know, I'm a freaking keyboard player. What the hell am I doing? I did it mm -hmm. all myself. It's just the way I'm an eclectic sort of guy. Mm -hmm. And, but I know what you're saying, but you think about it, you find this talented bunch of guys, you think they're great. Mm -hmm. And you know, some big shots. I knew a few big shots, you know, what do you think? Oh, they suck. Fuck them. Yeah. Okay. Fuck you too. Fine, so <laughs> I, I like them. I think they're great. So what are you going to do? So you put your own time into it. I didn't have a lot of money, but I had a studio. So I can give them studio time, record them. And, um, I wasn't a manager other than like my own career, you know? Yeah. So I just did the best I could. I, I never really tried to be a manager as such. I just tried to get a deal and hope for the best and see what is kind of a naive way of doing it. Sure. But, but so I just offered, you know, anything I can to make this happen and figured if this works out, I'll be rewarded eventually, you know? Very much like Joe Boyd. If you know mm -hmm. who Joe Boyd is. I don't know who Joe Boyd is. You should. You should look him up when you get a chance. He wrote a book called uh, White Bicycles, and he is to Pink Floyd what I am to Fallout Carnivore and Typo. Right, okay. So he discovered Pink Floyd. He first recorded Pink Floyd. He brought them to the label, all of that. And then the label yeah. said, fuck off. You know. And so nobody knows who Joe Boyd is. But he had a similar, uh, and he's an interesting guy. He's a good writer, too. I found yeah, out yeah. about him like 10 years ago. Still anyway, going. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of a famous fella within the genre, you know? Mm. So uh, anyway, um, August 81, mysteriously, and a shock to the system, they break up. And it's mm -hmm. like, what the hell's going on here? And it was mysterious, it really was. To this day, I have no idea really why they broke up. And nobody's talking to this day. You tried to talk to Louis. You know, they all say, well, I think it was because it's bullshit. I think between you and me, don't tell anybody this. <laughs> I'll let it out. Yeah. Uh, no, nah, you could let it in. I don't oh, care. Okay. I honestly <laughs> I'll think, keep it in. <laughs> I think somebody gave somebody really bad advice. Do you know what right. I mean? I think, because remember, they were kids. 
and yeah. I think somebody had an uncle or a brother-in-law or something, and and they and I think they were dissing Peter. I think they were saying, you know, Peter's. You bet. Uh, this is naughty music and, and, and well, oh my God, what's he saying? You know, the stuff they eventually said to him writ large eventually, you know? Yep. But I think it was that. I think, I think he frightened some of these people and they thought, um, oh, you'll never make it doing that. And like I said, I took the stuff to the majors and they were saying the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, sadly, uh, that broke up the band, right? So mm -hmm. they break up or whatever broke them up, they broke up. And um, I, I, went to California for a bit and um, Josh and his new band with John Campos came to visit me there in California. And we did some gigs there. I did sound for them and, and stuff. And um, they wanted me to produce them, which I eventually did. We did a single with original sin. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got back to New York, uh, Peter had uh, carnivore going and I thought it was fucking awesome. You know, I thought it was great. And, um, and I, I just want to point out, oops, I broke my microphone. Hold on. That's terrible. That Still part sounds all right. <laughs> I just smashed into everything. Okay, so um, I just want to point out, this is important to me to get this point across. To me, I honestly believe that as everyone loves carnivore, right? You know, and most people never heard of uh, Original Sin. Mm -hmm. and, um, and most people know who Typo are, you know, is Am. Fallout, the combination of John Campos uh, and um, who isn't in typo, Josh is, of course, yep. but, but uh, Fallout, which was, was original sin and carnivore stuck together, you know. Uh, Campos's influence on Peter was brilliant. Really? He wasn't, he wasn't pushy. He wasn't a, a bully uh, sort of a guy. Um, but what he added to uh, arrangements for Peter and um, and when they would co-write, they did co-write a bit with Fallout. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it was almost exactly like Roger Waters and Gilmore. You know, Gilmore on his own isn't writing hit songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? it, it, but you're not going to deny Gilmore's talent. And Roger writes unbelievable lyrics and concepts and all of that stuff. And some of it on its own is absolutely brilliant, fine. But when it combines with uh, the Gilmore bit, it, mm -hmm. you get comfortably numb, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and to me, that was what I always expected was going to happen. So it's like that early, they took uh, a Peter's Gilmore away from him. So he's like Roger Waters solo project from then on. I completely appreciate that analogy. Yeah, I was just yeah. looking at what, where else John Campos, what, um, what else he did to see if anyone could have like a, a point of reference. But he actually hasn't done anything since Fallout, it seems. Yeah, yeah well, he does. Um, I, I haven't paid close attention. He and I are still friends, but we don't talk much. Mm -hmm. But he, um, I believe he, he produces uh, and writes right. uh, then up front and perform, you know, and, and he plays on the records, maybe produces and writes for, but, okay. um, but more pop stuff. But I mean, that's sort of that's sort of what I mean. Peter wasn't opposed to pop music. Peter loved pop music, but John played pop music better than Peter. Okay, you see what I mean. So when yeah, yeah, yeah. so when when Peter would go into that genre, that extra musicality, those extra skills, John would bring in. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. left to his own, maybe it's too shiny, if you know what I mean. You yeah, know? so it's like the pop sensibilities versus the greatness of Peter. You, the balance is you have a really accessible lump of, of dirty gritty stuff 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you could do the whole range again. And that's why he often says the Beatles, as an example, they mm. do the whole range. You could be, do a sentimental, cute little ditty all the way to, uh, you know, some, some death dirge, grungy thing, you know, and everything yeah. in between. And uh, Peter uh, couldn't pull it off as well, the whole arc mm -hmm. as well without John, in my opinion. Wow. So it, it narrowed his range a little bit. Yeah, Having yeah. said that, he's a brilliant concepts guy. And, you know, to the degree that by the time he does Typo, you know, he has two bands. He's got Carnivore and Typo because mm -hmm. he needed to do more. It wasn't enough just to do this or that, you know. I thought it was um, Carnivore split up, but Typo was brought into the fold. Actually, Typo happened and then it was shopped around. But Roadrunner grabbed it because he was on a, he was, because Peter himself wasn't, wasn't released from the contract with Roadrunner initially. So even if Carnival yeah. split up, if Peter's producing music, it has to be with Rhoda in it as a result. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know they existed concurrently. Uh, sorry, in parallel. After no, after after type Carnival broke up, and mm -hmm. Peter was doing Park stuff and all that. Yeah. And uh, Parks Department. Yes. And became the big green man and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, the Jolly Green Giant. Jolly Green Giant. He uh, typo. We get back to the typo thing, but that after typo was successful yeah towards the end of typo he reformed a new version of carnivore yes um yeah and so that's what i mean but like that's the one he, i saw yeah he needed he needed more stuff. of, In course, fact, I, of I, course yeah it, was, it did it uh, yes i know what you mean now but uh anyway getting back to uh, them getting a deal yes so fallout breaks out uh see what, what pete's doing and and like i i, I had been doing fallout I started taking pictures of them again, promoting them again, um, trying to get them in magazines. I was doing some freelance writing for uh, New Look Magazine, which is a brand new mm -hmm. magazine. And I got them that article. I think I sent you a copy of that article. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I, so I did that. They, before they were signed, I got that going. And uh, I again, I took them to the major label friends that I had. Now, by now, I had played on a whole shitload of hit records. Mm -hmm. And and I'm shortly, I was even playing with a fix, I think, by then, uh, at least writing uh, with them or for them. Uh, not playing with them to do gigs, but I played on their record. And yep. there was talk that I might become like the fifth Beatle in the fix and this kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, I, the point is I knew people. Yeah. And I took them to them. And they, again, they all fucking hated it. You know, and, and I'm saying to myself, you know, what's wrong with you fucking people? Are you nuts? <laughs> And I, honestly, I think, I think what was going on, it's just speculation because they'll never admit it, but the thing that offended people about Carnivore eventually that none of us from Brooklyn saw, mm -hmm. at least not in our crowd, uh, until they went on tour and then they were targeted for death by some fringe psychopaths. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yep, yeah, yep, yep. I think, I think that part of the writing of the storytelling remember that's what it is it's storytelling these are mm -hmm. fucking stories mm -hmm. i think the people i was taking this record to that's all they heard they didn't right. hear story. i they, think they're, they're sorry, and they no. weren't even going to address what they thought it was they yeah. you know they were going to say to me your friends are fucking nazi you know they weren't going to say that but retrospectively that's exactly what i think was going on because you can't deny this music it's ridiculous to deny you totally yeah, I guess like once you, once you, especially on a major, if you have like that global sort of vision, you're obviously going to think, well, what's the impact of this record? There's a 1% chance a nutter will go off at a gig. And they go, yeah. oh, well, we can't take that 1% because if it's yeah. RCA that signed them, it's an RCA right. band and the brand gets hurt, blah, 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 blah. blah. That's, what I, that's what I think. I Honestly, that's what I think. It was that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I didn't know at the time at all. I just want you to know, I had, I was clueless that anybody would even think like that because what are you stupid? Why would <laughs> you know? you, especially without the internet. If, if your social circle as well is like all getting well into this and it's a conversation that's yeah. worth having about, you know, okay, God is dead. Why is that controversial in, in a, in a yeah. post-Nietzsche world? Frederick Nietzsche, Frederick yeah. Nietzsche. That, you <laughs> know, I used to discuss Nietzsche with Peter uh, when I had first met him and that's where he got, that from you know I, I, yeah. I forced him to read Nietzsche you know mm. and uh yeah. and it got him going on that subject and he like instantly started writing about it I mean yeah. that's the difference I, I read about Nietzsche and then he just instantly made use of it you know his stuff you know he was fast like that yeah anyway yeah. Any so I couldn't get them a major deal but I did a, a, that I uh, did a few pieces for New Look and one was uh I thought oh let's do a thing on CBGB since I've been playing there since it opened uh, and I knew Hilly, so I went down there, and uh, I, I, it was a new scene for me to see, you know, agnostic front and this whole thing, because that wasn't yep. my sort of thing, and um, so I found it kind of exciting, because it's all new, right, for me, and seeing the mosh pit, mosh pits, but to quasi-metal, you know, instead of mm -hmm. the punk, it was like an interesting hybrid, and I, I found it very interesting, so I took pictures of the thing and all that, and while there, I uh, talked to Hilly about getting Peter gigs there. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, tell him to come on down and we'll see how it goes and blah, blah, blah. So Hilly Crystal was open to it. Um, you know, the owner of CB's. Yep. And that was great. And then while there, I think through Agnostic Front, I met Connie. Just uh, she was there. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know who she was from a hole in the wall. And, um, you know, she had the punky hair and that whole wacky sort of uh, thing going. Mm -hmm. and um, But she was a proper manager apparently. And so I, I told her about the band and I gave the number and all this kind of thing. So I'm promoting them. Yep. So the good news is uh, she got them a deal with the uh, Roadrunner, right. you know? And how yeah. exactly she did that, I don't know, but mm -hmm. I know she, she did that. Yeah, yeah. And the bad news for me was Joe Boyd, she wanted her own people. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I got, because I was supposed to be uh, the producer. That was, you know. And I think that's partly why a lot of people don't like talking about this stuff, because I, I'll talk about anything. I mean, I'm honest about things. And I, I, I it's okay with me. Um, but I think a lot of people run the risk of, of making shit up. And then yes. if they do, I'll say, nah, that's not what happened. So, <laughs> and I've got photographs and audio recordings to prove my story. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'll take I'll take a quick break just to discuss the signing bit. So, we, if so, you're quite certain it happened through Connie. Connie is the the conduit of that Roadrunner deal. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that, that's as far as I know at the time. That's what, I mean. I gave perfect. I gave her the stuff, and the next thing I know, they got a deal, and I'm not the producer. I mean, and that all happened within yeah, yeah. weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. That sucks. But I, from what I know about Roadrunner at the time, so as I say, there wasn't a US office at this point. Yeah. Um, Case, who was the owner of the label, managed his affairs in America through a lawyer named Jules Kurz. Or Kurz. Yeah. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. And Jules was also responsible for representing a lot of majors, such as Aussie and things like that. So oh. knowing that it's coming through Connie is interesting to me because. I imagine Connie's instinct would be to do what you did and try and farm them out to the, the, the majors. Maybe through her network, maybe just like blind look, throw demos at people. And I imagine yeah. that's where Jules has picked it up and gone, this is dirty and rotten. This, yeah. this is yeah. this is on brand for Roadrunners. Because Roadrunner got merciful fate at that point. 
Satan, right. uh, Mad Max, Railway, Whiplash later that year. So I, my presumption is someone someone who's got the marketing head on for Roadrunner is going, well, what's kind of antagonistic? Merciful Fate is on the um, is one of the, the Filthy 15. Remember the PCMR? Um, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're on Frank that Zappa list. Frank Zappa told them to all fuck off. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah, Dee Snyder said, comes in with a yeah. scribbled up piece of paper and starts listing yeah. up legislation yeah. and stuff. So they're on that list. you got Satan, who I'd called Satan. you got the Satanic <laughs> Panic happening in the early 80s. It's, it, I mean, I don't think anyone... That's right, I, that's right. I, there was the Satanic Panic of the 80s. That's right, that was really absolutely bizarro. Yeah, I mean, again, because no, no one can confirm this, but I think Case's strategy... Because he's not a metalhead. The, the, the king of Roadrunner, the king of this label, is not a metalhead. He's an opera guy. But he's oh. he worked in the industry for a good 20 years prior to starting Roadrunner. So I oh, think okay. his thing is he knows what the angle is. He right. know he can see a band and go, all right, I don't like this music, but I get why this aesthetic works. So I right. think he's, in the early days of Roadrunner, for his first direct signings, he's finding the antagonists of that world. The Satanists, right. the, that's where he smells blood and goes, this is fucked right. up. Let's get these boys on board. Sure. And and yeah. I guess Jules is reflecting that intention through for Roadrunner yeah. in his capacity. And that's where Bonnie and Jules potentially, obviously there's, there's a missing link there, but it's, I reckon that's, that's where, that must be where it so is. Really, again, so no one, nobody knows, like I said, I gave it to uh, Connie. Yeah. And then after I gave it to Connie, they get a record deal. Yes. And then, and then Connie's still there. So yeah. that's why, to me, at the time, it seemed like one plus one equals two. Yeah, oh yeah, totally, totally. We now so, know more but, than we've ever known. <laughs> but it's amazing to me that no one remembers uh, who gave who a tape at that moment, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I did, I did with Connie, you know, so. Maybe Lou knows like um, the extra, some other details, because there's other details around the deal itself, why the, the, deal, the Roadrunner deal at that time was fairly, um, it wasn't great. Mm. Um, and that I speculate reasons around that, which I'll, I'll go into on, on like the documentary yeah. side of stuff. I won't bore you to death here. Peter but used I, to say, uh, Peter used to say, uh, "Big fish in a little pond." Yeah, yeah. That's what he used to say. I saw an interviewer. He said, uh, "And I, I said, at least you're in a pond, man. You know." Yeah, it's, man. It's, you know what I mean? He, my my point to him was, I said, "Your stuff's going out." This is before you know they they did significantly better uh, <laughs> with the typo, you know, mm -hmm. but. Um, his material got out. I, I was my own career. I was with the, with the majors yeah. with development deals and all this stuff. I mean, they wasted my time for years. I made recording after recording after recording. None of it was ever released. Mm. So, you know, Peter's record, boom, it's out the next day, you know, yeah, it's out yeah. there 40 years later, whatever it is, we can talk about it and it's there. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like his, Look, I mean, I, I didn't know Peter, so I'm not going to speak for him. But uh, the 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 impression I get is his love for having a day job in New York amongst the people he loved, doing the thing he loved, was really, yeah. really kind of weighed him down in a way because he really liked doing it. So when someone comes in saying, "Well, you could play music for a living," yeah, there's there's a potentially a promise of a better life there, and he's like, "Well, is the is the really a promise of a better life?" And I think that was that's what he battled with quite a lot in those early days. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, once um, once they did Carnivore, and nobody, I talked about this for interviews for a, for a book, uh, Soul on Fire, oh, and wow. it's not in the book. You know, it'll got, nobody wants to talk about this, but it was a shock to me. Peter told me about it. Others, I won't say who, told me about it because they don't want to go on record for any of this. I get it, but I mean, 
everybody was shocked. I mean, and they were scared. I mean, maybe, maybe people don't want to talk about this, but Peter was shitting himself. I mean, he's a big, scary guy, but the truth is big, lovable pussycat. I mean, he wouldn't hurt a fly, you know. I mean, the people were on television, European television, I've, I've seen the clips, you know, threatening his life. Yeah. And for what? You know, he's a musician. Mm -hmm. He's What are you people insane? You like that? And so um, there was so much for all the positive stuff that was potentially happening. Um, there were a lot of people that were treating what Peter was doing like it was some kind of uh, nascent psychopathic political movement that might grow and you know there'll be a there'll be a massive killing you know yeah. it's like you people are out of your fucking minds you know yeah. but it was yeah. enough to scare the shit out of that band i could tell you that i mean mm -hmm. privately uh they all said this to me that they were scared shitless uh for a time mm -hmm. and that's what broke up the band the, mm -hmm. the band broke up the bad guys got what they wanted mm -hmm. they terrorized that band the guys didn't talk about it publicly because of the threats it would only make it worse. Yep. And they broke up specifically because um, Peter was being accused of the most heinous, ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was wrong and it was unjust. So when he gave it up um, and got himself a proper job uh, and, and Louis got himself a proper job as well, you know, uh, working class hero jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, he was happy. He was, you know, he was going towards getting a retirement and he didn't work too hard. It was a job he liked. And, mm. and then the idea of going back there and being called filthy names by a, a ready to go set of organizations. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, you know, they're there 24 hours a day, ready yeah. to accuse people, you know, that's their job. And he's just some musician trying to write songs. Yeah. And yeah. He's, not, he's not armed in any way, shape or form. No one is. To defend themselves against that kind of hatred that yeah, was directed yeah. towards them. and I people didn't... don't like talking about it but it, it's real man it's really yeah. real i i really because because <clears throat> i didn't obviously i didn't have a relationship with him so I, i'm not a journalist so i'd like i don't like i don't like what well, you are now buddy oh man i don't like asking these kind of questions because it feels like i'm after a scoop or something but fuck me yeah. imagine what he'd, he'd imagine if he was still around today amidst yeah. like the big cancel culture and those kind of like cultural political yeah. conversations can you, that are can you imagine now. sure antifa and all these fucking assholes and we we, we need i think <laughs> the the voice that he was then it, yeah. it needs to be, you know, it needs to be here now, doesn't it? I guess just to sort of speak, because he, he's not a Nazi, obviously. He's, he's not. No way. You no know way. what I mean? No way. Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. I it's think absolutely it was, uh, ridiculous. I think he, it, he, so he believed the American Constitution, free speech, uh, the work ethic, family. You know, he was kind of sort of conservative. Mm -hmm. He went off the rails. That's a whole other story. And you can, and I'm not even get, going to where, where all that fucking happened came from, but he yeah. was under a lot of horrible pressure that no one should have had to endure. Mm -hmm. And let alone just some, you know, working class schlub from Brooklyn. Cause I mean, he was a talented musician and writer. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But, but beyond that, he was just some working class guy. Yeah, yeah. Why should he be equipped psychologically with the weaponry to defend himself against an organized assault against him and his family and his projects. I mean, everything mm. he did, they tried to destroy as he was moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so again, credit to the, his label for saying fuck off and still yeah. helping him out, you know, keeping it going. I'm, I'm amazed. It's actually, but, a, sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. No, after you, after you. you. 
Uh, well, I just wanted to say, just back to the topic of, of, of Roadrunner and all that and the Connie business and all that. So um, when I uh, did not produce the record <laughs> and it was just unspoken, it was really funny, you know, but I put in a lot of, yeah, between you and me, I put in a lot of effort and one would have liked to have produced it. And I think it would have been great. Um, someone might, might from from the period might say well you know you you were doing progressive and avant-garde music and even though you mm -hmm. like them or trying to get them a deal doesn't mean you'd be a good producer for them but I, I totally disagree I mean if you look at um the talking heads for example who were considered um I don't know why they were considered punk which is mm -hmm. ridiculous they weren't um um and who they get hooked up with um Brian Eno Brian yeah. Eno was one of those people accused who I think is brilliant He's being accused of being one of the dinosaurs. It's over for Brian Eno. And um, he hooks up with the talking heads. Boom. Are you kidding me? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, uh, the whole becomes the greater of the sum of its parts, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I, I think I could have uh, done a great job on that just between me and the universe. But having said that, when they did the record, I did get invited to play on it. Yeah. And so I don't know if you could see that. There it is. Yeah, see yeah. That machine? That's the... Uh, that's the synthesizer that I used on that first Carnivore record. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Very cool. what happened is when we did Fallout, uh, Peter had a few post-apocalyptic numbers even then. Mm -hmm. And we did a soundscape um, at my studio of, uh, you know, bombs dropping, machine guns, lasers, robots mm -hmm. stepping on people and all that kind of, but like, like a radio experience, you know, just little sound effects. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the girlfriends and the, and the roadies were all in there screaming, Gary and all those guys and Billy and, and Christopher's, the Christopher's were there and uh, brilliant. And they just scream, ah, you know, doing all that. And uh, it sounded great. It sounded, you know, really good. So when they did Carnivore, Peter wanted me to do that again. And uh, so we recreated it sort of, kind of. The original one we did for Fallout was much better because it was at my studio, I had all the time in the world. Yep. The one we did for Carnival was sort of rushed and sounds more like a video game version of, of it. Right, okay. But that's the synth that we used, we used for that. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome. the same synth I played Girls Just Want to Have Fun On and She Bop oh, wow. and all those songs. So that's a great You're machine. Sell it, sell it to Hard Rock Cafe, Perth. Yeah, if they offer me a billion dollars, I'll do that. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm leaving it to my kids, you know. But uh, it's a, it's a, I still use it to this day. It's a beautiful instrument. Yeah. So, uh, so about you, so, synth guys, man. You always you the first. You've always got the first instrument you've got ever owned. Right. You try. Yeah. You try yeah. to. I mean, I did sell some of the instruments I should have never sold, like my Prophet Five and my Memory Moog, and that was stupid, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, when Carnivore um, break up. Um, and typo breakup. I don't know what the hell they were doing for a while there. There was sort of a vacuum and I was uh, doing more teaching by then. Right. Uh, and one day, uh, <laughs> I, I just see them at my door. Josh and Peter are at my door. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, oh, hi guys, how are you? You know, and uh, what's going on? Cause I hadn't seen them in maybe a year or something. And, uh, and they gave me this tape called repulsion. And, uh, I said, Oh, thanks, man. You know, come on in. You have some code. No, we got to run, but you know, this is what we're doing. And, uh, <laughs> maybe you will produce it now because of what happened with carnivore. I really wasn't in the mood to start working for free again, you know? Mm. And, um, 
because I honestly between Fallout and Carnivore and Type and Original Sin, you know, it's like years of work. Yeah. That, yeah. that uh, and also, you know, I, I had, uh, um, I think, I think my first son might have been just born and that kind of thing at this time. So anyway, I was busy and I had a yeah. day job uh, teaching uh, audio technology and producing and that kind of thing. So um, they gave me this tape with repulsion on it, you know, and I listened to it. And of course that winds up being the first uh, type one negative record or yep. most of that. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't even know if I contacted them about it at the time, uh, you know, um, after they gave it to me, you yeah. know, I don't think I addressed it directly, but uh, so regarding what you were saying, I wasn't there for all this, but it's my understanding that um, Louis' drumming student was jamming at um, or rehearsing himself at uh, Josh's studio, right? Uh, which which was a split level thing. He had the the control room was in an old bedroom, like on the second floor, and mm -hmm. the the live room was uh, the basement. And uh, so um, Louis' student was, was playing and um, started jamming with uh, Josh. And, um, or, 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 or he asked Peter to jam with him, that kind of right. thing, because he lived like, you know, just two houses, three houses down. And mm -hmm. so anyway, somehow Josh and the drummer and uh, 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 Peter are in the same room. Or get together. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the, the nascent typo negative happened, you know, uh, the idea of them actually getting back together again. Mm -hmm. uh, why John wasn't brought back into it, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't interested. John, in those days, I was still playing gigs. And John, in fact, John Campos was in one of my bands for, for a while. Right. Um, it was like a lot of crossover. Louis even did some uh, New York Space Ensemble gigs, one of my bands uh okay. with me but um so it was a funny time it was all sort of amorphous uh next thing i know you know they got a record out and it's and it's typo negative yeah and uh, i know they're going to be sub-zero and that didn't work out because <laughs> sub -Zero, and then repulsion didn't work out because and they already had the tattoos for sub-zero yeah, yeah brilliant yeah. you know that story <laughs> it's a great yeah. story like, what the fuck we got the tattoos and he Go came up you know typo negative brilliant because you have yeah, yeah. heard on the radio blood dry <laughs> and here's the other thing uh, my blood type is type O, so yeah. My actual blood type, just so. Is it is, is it, it negative or positive though? It's not negative. It turns out it's positive, and I was disappointed by that. Well, if you're in a, <laughs> in a if you're in a pickle, give me a shout because I've got the same blood type. You too. Yeah, I really? think I think O positive is one of I think it's one of the more common ones. I think it's like when you're in AB negative, that's when you're into you're you're, in, you're a rare breed. Yeah, that's where it gets rare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Can, Let's talk about the, the photos for a bit. And the reason I, I oh, asked sure. I asked a question knowing the answer, but the thing is, um, yeah. quite often, especially in the early days of the label, a lot of bands have relationships with photographers and artists and things like that, and they typically mm -hmm. push a particular cover, and then the label yeah. say, "Yeah, that's a great idea, lads," and then they go, "Fuck yeah. that, we'll just get this other thing in." So I'm just wondering if anything else happened in that space because obviously you were quite yeah. uh, you were quite central to the artistic. Um, or the visual aesthetic, let's call it that, yeah, with, sure, with, the, sure. with the photos. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there was obviously photo shoots out in the desert, which really sold the whole barbarian theme and things like that. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was any, any of that was discussed to be the output for the album. 
Well, I know, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, I had been a photographer since I'm a child, like being a musician, and I was even doing films, although it took a while before they got good enough for me to say, look at my film, but, mm -hmm. but I was doing this stuff forever. So I was doing it for my own band. I was playing gigs with my own films playing uh, on stage with us, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was doing all that kind of thing in the seventies. Even at CBGB's, I did that. I put up a, a screen oh, with the punks screaming at me. What the fuck are you doing with a screen? It's not a movie house, you know, it's kind of, yeah. anyway. Uh, so anyway, I was, I was, uh, that's one reason why I got along and really loved what Peter was up to. He thought uh, in a similar way to me in terms of big and the theatrical and let's yes. try this and let's try that. Big concepts. Yeah, and he wasn't afraid to say God is dead, just in case, maybe, who knows? You know, he, I mean, he, it was all storytelling. It was all exploration. It's all freedom of speech. It's all the arts. Yeah. So anyway, we got along real well on that. And um, when he introduced me to what he was doing with Carnivore, um, and I saw the barbarian suits, I said, well, let's let's do it. You know, so let's do it like a movie. We'll go, uh, we'll shoot some. And the, the idea was I was even going to bring my, my movie equipment and shoot it like a film, mm -hmm. uh, but I got lazy and I just brought my Leica. <laughs> And I shot all the stills for all of that. So we just did it, you know, one day. I think I shot three or four rolls of film. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just did it just to do it. And and I gave them some of the best to use for whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Then um, one day I get a phone call um, from Holland. And I remember I was asleep and I was like, <laughs> what, you know? Hello, wait, defeat, defeat, defeat. I don't know if they really talk. I can't remember, but <laughs> but they said they were from Holland, and I said, you know, what are you calling me for? And and they said, uh, do you have any more of those pictures? Mm -hmm. And they, they they explained who they were because I really didn't know who they were. And you know, Peter wasn't a very communicative, uh, if that's the right word, uh, kind of guy with this stuff. It's not like he called me up and said, Rich, there's a business meeting on Thursday. We're going to do this and that. We like your pictures. That never happened. Right. I would do stuff. I'd give it to Peter, and it would just either get used or not. It was a black hole. There was no communication yeah so nobody said holland's gonna call you they just did and they said do you have any uh pictures and they said uh yeah i shot rolls of it and they said uh can we have some and i said yeah sure what's your address so i just sent them like a box of photos and they used one um from uh the marine park creek area the one you call the desert sessions yes that's uh, uh right across the street from avenue u in uh marine park brooklyn right across the street area we euphemistically referred to as the creek and um also mau mau island that's the the little island that we're on it's actually a little island it's mm -hmm. called mount we call it now i don't know if it's its real name we call it growing up my mau island so we went to mau mau island it's hysterical dressed with them dressed like that <laughs> absolutely fantastic and uh, we took those pictures so i sent them a box load and then one of those pictures was used as the band photo yep on uh on the record but uh Nobody asked me or told me they were going to do it. I mean, honestly, no one. <laughs> no one yeah. just came out. Look, here I it is. You didn't right. see a penny for this, I guess. No, never. Never got paid a dime from the label uh, for any of the work I did. Nothing. Mm. The demos, the, the photographs, never. Yeah. Uh, I got some credit, you know. Yeah, uh, something, on the isn't it? Yeah, and the, the carnivore thing, um, I used a pseudonym. Yeah, Richard Darkside, right. Yeah, yeah. For the synth work. I don't even know why I did that. It might have been maybe. because... Uh, maybe you were scared of Jesus Hitler. It might have been the Nazi uh, stuff that they were already talking about. I don't mm. know. But that's kind of early. Not mm. the band talking about it. I mean, the threats. But I yeah, think it's yeah, kind yeah. Of early. The threats weren't there yet. So 
I think I was just, you know, I'm sort of rambling. I apologize. No, but- no, it's cool. This is exactly what this whole discussion's about. We just go down the rabbit holes. We tell stories and we try and get an understanding as to why that label did what it did. Yeah, that's I, part I of the story. A, I had a minor dilemma for myself personally because, because I did filming and photography and I was a musician and I was an audio engineer and I was a producer and 99% of that is self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt at some point uh, people aren't uh, going to take this serious or that because you can't be all these things. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe I should be three people. And then, right. uh, and that was about the time. So I think I, I then, ah, fuck it. You know, just, I couldn't keep track of it myself. Okay. Yeah. Who am I today? Kind of thing. So I dropped it, but, but a couple of times I thought, well, I'll produce under this name and I'll be a musician under that name. And, right. uh, and then I gave up. I thought it was all retarded. So mm-hmm. um, I think yeah. that's why I was did the dark side thing at the time. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the band reconnect with you for welcoming down then? Oh, to play on the record? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. You know, uh, for years, um, Josh and I were still in contact, even though um, I had moved out of uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think mostly like on, online, email and stuff. Right. And uh, and on the phone and all through the typo t- period. And th- this might sound self-serving. I, I really hope it doesn't, but it sounded to me that he was just wanted uh, to bounce off of me because, you know, he learned engineering from me, obviously. Uh, I built his recording studio. Uh, the, the physical construct was done by the roadies, yes. but the design of it was done by me and some of the wiring was done by yeah. me. And I, and I showed him the, you know, the first days, how to use all the gear and all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had that kind of avuncular relationship with him. I was sort of, mm. you know, like the older guy helping, helping him out, which I was happy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the years, we maintained that sort of relationship and he would call and it sounded to me like he's asking for advice. Like he didn't say, hi, Rich, I'm asking for advice. But the conversation always went to how some to issues they this. were having. Yeah, yeah, the record's going this way, whatever. And then like what pause, you know, waiting for me to comment. And so he obviously wanted my feedback on things. Yeah. And one of the things they, they were in a rut, they felt, uh, or he felt, and there were other things going on that I won't talk about, but I just stick to the music, you know, and the band situation. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I thought was Peter is a remarkably eclectic guy. Mm-hmm. And why is typo negative making the same fucking record over and over again? You mm-hmm. know, conceptually, I mean. Yeah. And which is what I was saying, he started doing carnivore again because he I... needed, you know, he couldn't do carnivore in typo negative. Mm. But really he could have. Why not? It's his band. <laughs> you well, know? So, kill all the white people is pretty carnivore-esque track. Yeah, well, that, well, there you go, you know. So why not? So, so, the, but the fact that they, they couldn't do it all in the one band is my point. And, and that, so yeah. I was saying that Josh, almost like what Paul McCartney was trying to do with the Beatles, I guess, I, realizing like with his whole get back idea that didn't work, uh, we'll get back to our roots, guys, you know. And um, I thought, well, you know, you used to just play as a band in a room and I'd record you mm-hmm. going way back when. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd do the best take and then a couple overdubs and we're done, you know, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, and they started turning into these more sort of productiony things, you know. Yeah. And uh, with a narrow beam, it seemed to me, of of what the typo sound was. Like now there was this typo sound, you know. 
And I, and I told Josh all this at the time on some of these record, you know, phone calls. Yeah. And um, I said, you, what you should do for fun, just to mix it all up. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a typo negative record, have Fallout appear, another band, and bring <laughs> Louis and John back. <laughs> and all of you play on, say, two classic Fallout tunes from yesteryear. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle of a, of a quasi-concept uh, um, record, typo record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since they were already talking about like the be- uh, 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 you know the beginning and the end and death and this and that, mm-hmm. well, how about the, how about beginnings and deaths? And so and you can actually have the resurrection of something that was, which still exists, which was mm-hmm. which was interesting. It wouldn't be fictional; it would be real. Yeah, yeah. And I really pushed that idea to Josh. Like I forget when this was, like two thousand and change, you know, two thousand yeah, yeah. something. Welcome and, down to um, ninety nine. So yeah, that that roundabout. Of the yeah. Century. Well, these conversations were probably like 2005 or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was saying, you know, stick Fallout in the middle of a mm-hmm. typo record. And I still think that's a brilliant idea. I thought mm-hmm. it would have been great. They could have done Batteries Not Included and, and maybe uh, Parthenophagia or or Under the under the Tracks, Under the mm-hmm. Wheels. Um, Fallout's anyway. obscure enough that you could probably have gotten away with it without them, without the label noticing as well. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it would for the fans. It would have created a whole huge explosion of interest. Yeah, yeah. And it would have done good for John and Louis, mm. who both deserved the attention. Yeah. And um, and also, I think it might have been a big enough jolt in the band's system that then they could come out of it with more directions. Mm-hmm. You know? Because yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to do. How to, how to keep this thing alive and interesting. Because I was hearing, again, well, I don't want to get into like personal stuff, but that you know something was wrong right you know and in the end we you know peter winds up dying at a ridiculously young age and yep um um i wasn't there for that mm-hmm. but um i obviously whatever was happening in his personal life is tied to what's happening with the band because yes. like you know so I, was, I so I'm, for, yeah and so looking at it yeah particularly when you're as dedicated a, an artist as he was that 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 you know there was one in the same in a way mm-hmm. and so what can you do to to make that thing more exciting so anyway yeah. get to your, the point about how i wanted to play on the record was and one of those conversations um josh told me peter wanted me to play uh on the record mm-hmm. which is funny because it, it makes me think that the fallout playing on the record idea almost took root yeah you know? yeah and they didn't go that far, mm-hmm. but it became, well, let's have Richard play on, on it, you know, for old time's mm-hmm. sake kind of a thing, I guess. I, I really don't know their motivation, but I was, I was happy to do it. I was very pleased to, to be in the studio with them again. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was great fun, really. It really was wonderful. I had a great yeah. time that day. That's awesome. Systems uh, 2 was one? the studio, Systems 2 right. in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, great yeah, place, yeah. great people. Yeah. Um, one thing we didn't mention on for the Carnival Rocket, it was, it was World War Three and Four, which is the soundscape, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's in there. Yeah. That's why I think I just I think we mentioned it by name, and I think it, it deserves yeah, yeah. mentioning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think I've mind I've completely bloody dry of, of Carnival and Pete knowledge, really. But I, one thing I wanted to mention was um, we were talking about sort of the aesthetic and what Pete was all about, and I was thinking the other, the other day it, 
the weird sort of pop sensibilities of, of I'm going to just say Peter, not necessarily Carnival, not necessarily Fallout, but the whole thing, the whole aesthetic. Yeah. We're talking about pop sensibilities and sort of a more gritty and, and dark tonality. I, 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 had, I was thinking about this earlier and I had a flashback to With Nail and I. Have you seen that film? Which one? With Nail and I. Richard E. Grant. No. And, um, so Don't at the end of that, that one. it's basically a film where there's two actors and they go up to the Yorkshire Dales where I live and um, they go on a holiday. And yeah. Basically, the whole they just get shit faces. It's a whole meditation on, like the the death of the '60s and things like that. It's quite. And at oh, the yeah. very end, <clears throat> um, one of the characters says, "You know, the, the the '60s have ended, and we have failed to paint it black." That's kind of like the 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 the, the, the whole. That's the film sort of wrapped up in a, in one in one line. And I was like, "Ah, oh, Peter did paint it black. He's got the sort of like the sexuality um, yeah. Yeah. element to his music. Very sort of free loving. However, it, it it's." sort of marred with a taboo not mm. of his own design but it's everyone else's problem he's the yeah. one that's painting it he's taking those ideas that were prevalent in the 60s yeah. and painting them black and i was like fuck that's what he's done he is the painted black but i i think that's i think that speaks to his aesthetic i don't know if you'd agree with that but that's, uh, that's, that's a good assessment i mean listen peter and i even though he's a little bit younger than me okay when i grew up they had us hiding under our fucking desks I mean, how sick is that, right? We're the most privileged generation in the history of mankind. We've got more money as a country than anybody knows what to do with. We saved the world from the Nazis. We were fighting single-handedly the fucking communists, you know, mm -hmm. and America, right? But we're hiding under our desks. Well, which is it, you know? And when you're eight years old, it's a little fucking confusing. And then when you look up and you see the fallout shelter symbols, and what's this about? And they don't explicitly tell you. I mean, maybe some people did in some states, but where I was from in Brooklyn, they never explained anything. Okay, now kids, under the desks. <laughs> you know, yeah. why are we under the desks? Fallout, in the case of, you know, right, the Chinese, any minute now, they're going to blow us up. And they're pulling the same shit now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Peter grew up with that. The band's name was Fallout. I mean, he was raised with all of this stuff. Uh, same as I. And, um, and he had that fly in the wall uh, attitude about it. It's like, you mean to tell me the world might blow itself up any day now? I mean, this is sort of, well, what's that going to be like? And then he'd write the song, yeah. you know? And you mean to tell me there are, there are uh, people doing this and people doing that, and he'd write the song. Mm -hmm. And then just the fun stuff too, you know, uh, just horror movie stuff. I mean, sure, he, he liked horror movies, so he just did that. But I think he identified with Willard a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. like personally. You know, the film yep. Willard, you made me hate myself. That's a line he used in Fallout. He used it again, I think, in on one of the either Carnival records or mm. I don't know if he did use the line. But in Fallout, he screams, you made me hate myself, which is a line right out of the film Willard. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he did have a little bit of that self-loathing thing coming in and out of his life now and then, which I used to bitch slap him about. Like, what the fuck is wrong a, with you? It's a quality of all comedians, though, which is effectively yeah, what he it, was as well. That's right. It was, that's right. It, it's true. It's true. Yeah. But... Um, I just uh, um, just to mention one other thing: the mm -hmm. photos of them in the butcher shop. Once Mark joined the band, that's all my stuff too. I took oh, all okay. those pictures, and I didn't get paid a nickel for that either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I think those are really good pictures. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I really like those. You know, they're stupid. Yeah. And then the whole meat throwing the meat thing started from from that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, go. I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'll I'll wrap it sure. up. So, and I ask everyone this: Have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, yeah, no, I never have. I've never seen a ghost. 
ever. I have had some responses where people have like actually sent me pictures of shit they've seen. So if, 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 it comes across, <laughs> if it's not, if it comes across as like the weirdest thing you've heard and why the fuck is he asking me this? There, I just think it's not, it's a nice sort of like, what's the opposite of an icebreaker? It's like an icebreaker that closes the conversation. Let's not talk shop anymore. Let's talk about weird shit. Sure, it's a good close. That's- what's your favorite color and right? what's your favorite <laughs> curse word and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I like it. It's good. And I've never seen one. <laughs> well thanks very much man i, I appreciate you my uh, pleasure oh yeah norman dunn he was the producer of that first record is he still around do you know i don't know i didn't know him i never heard of him mm-hmm. i met him that day that i did the soundscapey thing in the studio that one day yeah. i hung out that's not all they did we did that and they did guitars and stuff when i was there but that's the only yeah. time i uh no nah, it just occurred to me he did um met him. He'd, yeah, he did kind of. He did a few other Roadrunner ones for that era. <clears throat> so again, it sort of fits into my weird lexicon of what happened in the states before the, the U.S. office. Anyway, um, yeah. well, thanks very much. Um, my pleasure. One thing I just—I'll try to remember the day I met Connie and told her all about Carnivore. Uh, I took her picture, and I have it somewhere. Oh, wow. So while uh, if I find it, I'll email it to you. Oh, thanks, man. If if like her, her standing in CBGBs, like at the bar. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. If 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 you have anything sort of material-wise, um, fire it over again. It'll be your copyright on it and your source as okay, cool. described. Um, similarly, with the article, we were talking about if I could use it. Actually, I think what I need to do is I just need to um, I just need to reference it correctly, and it's fair game because it's all fair use. I don't run any ads uh-huh. on my videos or my podcast, right. so it's like no one's making any money off it. Um, right. But yeah, I think I so. Think, yeah, but the article that I did that was for New Look Magazine, 1985. 1985. Bob Guccione okay. owned it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That's all I'll need to make sure it's it's referenced correctly and it's yeah. you know, cited correctly. Sure. All right. Well, cheers, dude. If you hey, if you come across anyone who used to run in that circle who might be interested in this side of the conversation, like the bit like the yeah. um, because we're talking about I talk a lot about the business decisioning that kind of informed the band. Um, and things like that. If anyone's interested in that side of it, let me know, and I'm happy mm. to hear their story as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and conversely, if you find out exactly why no one decided to let me know <laughs> that they were going to use another producer uh, <laughs> and why, and I, 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 you know, I mean, nobody said yeah. anything. It's really. I, I, this is what I think. I think because Norman did Whiplash, he did another few things. My suspicion is that because Roderick are quite prone to. Um, trying to find one producer who's responsible for a sound and kind of like using them exclusively. Like ah, with death metal, yeah. it was like, it was Scott Burns. Scott Burns with the death metal guy. And I think right. they tried to get um, Jeff Watts from Annihilator to make like the, make, make him the thrash metal guy. So I, this, ah. is the, this is the sort of stuff I'm trying to piece together for, for right. this whole narrative. So my suspicion is Norman was going to be their guy for those initial- yeah. that kind of hardcore thrashy kind of sound right. i think yeah. or at right. least they tried to make a relationship with the producer uh from the early doors so they can have a little bit more control over the output yeah. Yeah, yeah. one or the other I, this is me stringing together co- the coincidences that norman was the kind of our producer mm. the whiplash producer worked in and with anthrax as well which weren't a road runner band but it's reliable credentials right, right? um right so i think that'll I'm, pre- be I'm pretty sure it wasn't wasn't connie with anthrax at the time i mean i i, I thought roger introduced me to Connie. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, let's I give it a Google. I remember, Connie. but I was with him uh, and interviewing Anthrax. Yeah. And and then I got introduced to Connie, unless she just muscled into the interview, which is possible. You know, I really don't really remember. 
but my focus was, was interviewing the bands and this woman connie comes winds up being involved in the conversation hmm. i can't see any reference to connie or connie barrett or connie barrett manager with anthrax oh. so was, she just muscled whiplash. her way into it yeah whiplash? Was she managing whiplash? i think she was sorry i know i'm wasting your time when no it's not at all it's good i'm having a good time yeah connie barrett is also the um got an executive producer credit on whiplash power and pain which is another uh which is sort of same era-esque roadrunner album so it maybe maybe it's oh, same crumb suckers too it says and crumb suckers yeah i found something about crumb suckers maybe we could extend the theory from norman and to connie as well maybe connie was on the ground that's what i thought i thought it was connie i thought uh i guess i guess that um and 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 Louis not talking about it is probably because he didn't doesn't know, do you know? Because Louis think, wasn't doing business. I think he wasn't the business guy. You know, Peter would say, yeah. "We're making a record Thursday," and then Louis <laughs> go, "Okay." You know what I mean? It wasn't like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what Louis approach. Well, he just hadn't responded to anything, which is probably because on Facebook and other things, it's probably inundated with requests like this. So that's true too. Yeah. Probably, I'm guessing too. But I I don't know, I don't know. I. I do know my experience with working them with all of them through all those years from fallout on, I never called Louie and said, Louie, come to my studio on Wednesday yeah, at, yeah. at eight. It was just either uh, Peter and mm -hmm. maybe Josh. That was yeah. all the conversation. Even John Campos didn't talk to me about it. So, mm -hmm. so they had never really any idea of what Josh or Peter were up to until yeah. they did it. Yeah. So Connie um, would have dealt i'm guessing directly with peter and the label if that's how that went down but it's too much of a coincidence that her name comes up with carnival and whiplash and those yeah. are two roadrunner bands that happened before yeah. roadrunner establishes their u.s offices well i know for a fact she's the one i handed it off to and then i wasn't the producer and they had a record deal i mean it was like within weeks yeah yeah so. and jules the lawyer the case's lawyer in the states has passed away as of seven years ago so i can't oh. find the information there either Holly Lane, who was uh, open the U.S. office, she's passed away. So it's like right. there's a horrible blind spot. Right. But um, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's. But I but I it's 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 a moot point. But I remember with with Carnivore, um, I was shocked actually. Not shocked is the wrong word. Too strong. That Keith, a guy I didn't really know uh, until I met him, with Peter, uh, that he had was so uh, outspoken and um, aggressive because it was always Peter, you know? Yeah. And it's like, who's this guy? You know? So uh, if, if, if any of them uh, would have been trying to be as involved as Peter, it would have been Keith, which mm. is, I think partly why they, uh, Keith got, you know, thrown out of the band because mm. he was challenging uh, Peter's authority constantly. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but, but having said that, one of my point is he probably would know and yeah. maybe, uh, I don't know his family, but maybe some of his family might have some insight into some of this stuff. Maybe. Because cause when I, when I, I remember when I did um, one of these interviews for Carnivore to promote them, you know, he was talking to me like in a manipulative way, you know, like trying to play the, the writer, you know, like I'm the writer and he's trying to manipulate my story and make sure yeah, I get all the right yeah. stuff. And not realizing that this is a friend talking to a friend, doing mm. everything he can to promote you assholes, you know? <laughs> <And> it's like <laughs> being like, you know what I mean? All dodgy and business-like. Yeah, so yeah. if anybody might be up on what happened business-wise, it might be him. Yeah. I don't know. But, but like I say, he got killed on a bicycle or something, if you can believe that shit. Yeah, 2000. 
two or five, I believe. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. fucked up, man. Very yeah. fucked up. Yeah. But anyway, I don't think I've got anything. I think we can end on we can end on the uh, perhaps the speculation, the theory that Connie is like that is the linchpin to those older U.S. bands. And, and and like I say, if you know more, let me know. I'd like to know. But that's what seemed to that's what that's what seemed to happen, in my opinion. You know, when I did this article of Carnivore and all that, um, she wasn't around. You know, that happened after uh, the Reich and Roll piece and the photographs, and then it's months before the article comes out. Yeah. You know, in that period. Um, anyway, we're just going in circles right now. But hey, I don't believe in ghosts. I never saw one. And uh, <laughs> best of luck to you. Stay in touch. Yeah, cheers, man.